Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Due to the unprecedented times we're living in, courtesy COVID-19, we are recording our conversations remotely. So, you might notice a difference in audio quality. What remains the same, however, is getting to know yet another accomplished, creative woman. And today's guest, much to my delight, is a repeat offender. Welcome back, director, producer, cinematographer, editor, and all-around classy creative woman, Fern Perlstein. For those of you who haven't met Fern, some background. A distinguished member of the documentary branch of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, Fern won the Sundance Cinematography Prize for Melda, a 2004 film about the former first lady of the Philippines. Her feature, The Last Laugh, is all about finding humor in a crisis seen through the lens of the Holocaust. As we try to deal with and wrap our heads around the coronavirus nightmare, many of us have been connecting to The Last Laugh, using humor to help us cope with this crisis and for that matter, this new normal. We'll talk about that. In 2019, Fern executive produced Cola Wars for History, a project she worked on with her husband and producing partner, Robert Edwards. She's working on a new project, The Janes, a web series that takes place in different women's bathrooms. She's also working on a project about a gifted photographer from Mexico who spent four years shooting inside various psychiatric hospitals only to wind up in one himself. And she's also wrapping up a project featuring other comedians for the UN and for Google. Fern's got a lot of irons in the fire, but before I share the Zoom stage, let me add that in 2018, Fern was inducted to the Brooklyn Jewish Hall of Fame. So we say mazel tov, Fern, welcome and thanks so much for joining me remotely today. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Well, this is really funny, Fern, because before we started to record, I was reading the New York Times today, as I do every morning, and the lead story in the art section is, he's now post-show business. Jerry Seinfeld says his new special may be his last, but he's optimistic about the return of live comedy. His new comedy special is on Netflix. I want to read something to you, okay? So... But he is also self-conscious in a way that you never see in his act. He cracks jokes and then wonders whether it's appropriate to do so or if people even want to laugh right now. What do you think? Yeah, well, I think it's clear that people want to laugh right now. It's like anything else. If COVID-19 has hit you personally, has hit somebody that you love, it might feel too soon. But you're not making fun of the people who are dying. You're making fun of the people in quarantine and the funny things about that life and the funny things that come out of another form of suffering, you know? So just like in the Holocaust, I would speak to children of survivors and survivors and they would say, well, we weren't laughing at our parents or we weren't laughing at the conditions we lived in. We were laughing at some of the sort of surreal situations it put us through. Were people anxious to share that with you when you were making this film? Well, you know, it's a funny question because I tried making this film, you know, almost 20 years before I finally was able to make it. And that was the part I was terrified about. I knew I wanted to speak to survivors. I knew I wanted to speak to survivors who both thought it was okay to laugh and thought it wasn't okay to laugh. 
but I didn't know any survivors personally. And so I did not know what the response was going to be. So I was terrified. And honestly, once I met Renee, who just turned 96 in April. Oh, wow. Um, who was an Auschwitz survivor and has a very good sense of humor. Once I had her as someone who was sort of a seal of approval, it opened these doors and suddenly people had these funny stories that they never had the space to tell before. And I was surprised by how many people wanted to tell these stories. Even when I'd screen the film, you know, a survivor after a screening would come up to me and tell me a story that happened to them. Or somebody would tell a story that their grandparents used to tell, you know, at the dinner table. And so I was surprised by how many stories there were. There just wasn't a place for it because for obvious reasons, it never felt like an appropriate thing to tell. But one of the the most incredible experiences I had is, so the film, it premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival in 2016. And a year later, it was in festivals. But after that, you know, I, I traveled the world, you know, like with different educational things and whatever. And Renee, the survivor that I, that, that is the star of my film would come with me. And we went on a five-day trip to Montana and basically drove through the state at different screenings and different classroom settings. And it was just an amazing experience. And we were in Bozeman and and a student was interviewing us for the newspaper and asked Renee, you know, what did you think when Fern first approached you to make this film? And Renee is a woman who's been in about 10 Holocaust movies, including Steven Spielberg's film Last Days, which won the Academy Award. And she said, you know, at first when Fern asked me to be in the film, I was shocked because I thought, you know, how could anybody make a film about this? And then I thought about it and I remembered things that weren't necessarily funny as I was going through it, but were funny when I was looking back on it. But then once she made the film, she said, you know, I realized that this is the first film about the Holocaust that's about the humanity of the Holocaust because every other Holocaust movie is about the inhumanity of like what, you know, we had to suffer through, but only if you're human, can you laugh? And that I found to be one of the most incredible things that anybody ever said about the film. You know, we talked about this before, but for those uh, who don't know, how did this seed get planted in your brain? Who wakes up one day and says, I think I want to make a documentary about the Holocaust? Well, that's a good question. So it didn't exactly happen like that for me. So I had a very good friend. I was working as a a documentary photographer in the early 90s. And I was on a job in Miami. And it was like through the they invited all these journalists to Miami to like do stories to give Miami a, you know, it was like in the middle of like the drug wars. So they wanted to try to encourage journalists to come and do different stories. And I was working for a Japanese newspaper. They're like, go, go do a story about drug trafficking in Miami. And, but I got to go through this thing. So anyway, for this Japanese newspaper. So I brought my friend along and one of the things that they took us through because they were, we were touring Miami was what had been then brand new, the the Holocaust Memorial that they had just opened. And they gave all of these foreign journalists and my friend and I this tour. And afterwards, you know, everybody went off and was, you know, on their own. And my friend and I started talking to the 
elderly survivor who was giving us the tour. And it was the same time that Art Spiegelman's mouse had come out. Mm-hmm. He had just won the Pulitzer Prize. And we, of course, he and I were huge fans of it. And we started talking to her about it and asking what she thought. And her immediate reaction was anger. Because I don't know if people realize this, but Mouse was the first graphic novel. There had been nothing like that before. So mm-hmm. her reference point was, you know, the Sunday funny pages. So she's, she literally said to us, you know, there's nothing funny about the Holocaust. You can't cover it in the funny pages. So we had a really thoughtful conversation with her about how we didn't think it was funny, although it did use this comic form. And, you know, even then, it's like the example I used earlier. The funny parts in Mouse are about the push and pull of the present day relationship between Art and his survivor father. It's not about what he went through in the camps. So we talked about it with her. And then, you know, it it was just a really interesting conversation. And then he and I both left New York. I went to Stanford for documentary film school and he went off on his own. And he's a brilliant chemist who is now one of the people that is like trying to find a cure for COVID. What goes around comes around. But he's one of those, you know, brilliant people who never finished college. So he was like working for all these famous chemists, but finishing his college degree in the meantime. And in doing that, he he wrote a paper on anti-Semitism all about real examples of humor that was used in the camps and the at the ghettos and the displaced person camps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he handed it to me when I saw him like a couple years later and he said, make this into a movie. So that was the last laugh. It was a very academic paper that was in 1993. And I knew I would make it and I knew I would open it up to post-war humor, you know, Mel Brooks. Larry David, Jerry Seinfeld, all of that sort of humor, the producers. And that's what I did. But it took me until 2011 to be able to raise money for it. Because people thought you were crazy, right? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And honestly, even then, it was just one person, one person who ended up backing the entire film because with grants and stuff, I would be a finalist in so many of the grants. But usually a lot of them that you need to show a rough cut and I'd show it and they'd still see that I had a responsible take on it, but I don't think they could ever anticipate what an audience would say or how they would react. So in the end, it was just this one person who made that film happen. Were you at any point just a wreck about who's going to come after you? Like I said, he handed me this paper and let me just say my friend's name The writer of the original paper, The Last Laugh, was written by Kent Kirschenbaum. So when Kent handed me the paper in 1993, you know, I was was doing my thesis for Stanford. It was one of those, I knew I would do it, but I wasn't quite ready yet. And then in 1998, I met my husband, Robert Edwards. I was a cinematographer. He hired me to shoot his film. He lived in San Francisco. I lived in New York City. And we... We did a five-day shoot together, and we hit it off so well that he ended up not making that film and just spending all his money like coming back and forth to visit me till he finally moved to New York. <laughs> but um, So our relationship started with making films together, and we never stopped. And so he inherited two of my projects, and I, of course, inherited some of his. And 
One of them was The Last Laugh, which we immediately started trying to make. But that, if you recall, 1998 is also the year that Life is Beautiful came out. Roberto Benigni's story, it was kind of a fable. He was married to a Jewish woman and he had a son and they got sent to a camp, he and his son. And it's all about the sort of tricks that he did to, to protect his son from the reality of what was going on. Right, right. So we knew that that was a part of our story, but we also knew that if we had made it then, that would have been the only part of the story. Do you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So we sort of like put it off for a couple years then. But I really do believe had I made it then when I was first starting to write grant proposals and think about it, I know I would have had a lot of hate mail, maybe death threats. It was that sort of climate. And then what happened was every couple of years, we'd try again. We'd talk to people. We got a lot of, you know, my husband's a screenwriter. He, he You know, he was working at CAA. And so we had connections to people. And, you know, even Bernie Brillstein read it and he's like, this is amazing. It'll definitely win you an Oscar, but it'll never get made. You know what I mean? Uh, like, uh-huh, uh-huh. So we had a lot of producer, uh, like people that said, I- I'd love to help you produce this film, but I don't want to be the first one to sign on. So we had responses like that. Even comedians like, yeah, yeah. Come back to me when somebody else signs on. So it was a much riskier film when I first started talking about it. So then 2006, I was in Los Angeles and we went to see The Aristocrats. So The Aristocrats is a very inside joke amongst comedians where there is a premise and a last line of the joke. And the idea is that comedians try to outgross each other and try to be more outrageous than the next. It's the idea that's a family of like acrobats or something and they're doing an audition and the act itself is where the joke is sort of improv and you know, it gets really, really, really disgusting, you know, and funny and just whatever. Anyway, Uh Uh so it was a documentary about this joke and they interviewed different comedians about their aristocrats joke. So in that film, Gilbert Gottfried tells his story was all about how I think it was only six days after nine 11, they did that, the roast of Hugh Hefner and Gilbert immediately comes out on stage and says, sorry, I'm late. I had a connecting flight at the Empire State Building. Oh, God. Talk about too soon. In fact, that might have been the night that that phrase was coined. Oh, my God. The audience just started booing, and it was just, it was just this awful, horrible moment. And so in that moment, Gilbert told the absolute most despicably gross aristocrats joke. And people started laughing hysterically. It was like they needed that release. That's the story he tells in the aristocrat story. Well, long story short, I'm sitting in that audience and watching, okay, people are laughing basically at a 9-11 joke, or it's a 9-11 story about a joke that was too soon then, but now it's not. And I walked out of that theater. I was like, okay, people are ready for the last laugh. And 
it still took five more years to get the money. But anyway, they were eventually ready. But at the same time, what was happening, and it continues to happen, there were these two movements I see happening in comedy. One is satire has been used more and more and more to deal with difficult topics. At a sort of crossroads is the PC movement where the reaction to certain things and political correctness is curbing some of that humor. I really believe that when I made The Last Laugh, I was in that small window. The PC movement hadn't eradicated my film or hadn't gotten rid of it. It was like the perfect sweet spot for those two things that were at a crossroads. Now I don't think I could make the film. But right before COVID, I don't think I could make the film. Now I don't know. So the Holocaust, which was so many years ago, although part of the issue is nobody should forget. Right. So you've got that, quote, distance, so to speak, that you do not have with COVID-19. And again, not to keep deifying Jerry Seinfeld, but another one of his quotes is, can you make jokes right now? To which he's saying, not really. To tell you the truth, I don't really feel that funny. It's hurting so many people so brutally. I'm not in the mood to be funny. It's like you're a bird and then suddenly they change your cage. You're just not sure who you are now. Can you relate to that? Even though you were not a Holocaust survivor and maybe you didn't have family members? I I absolutely can relate to that. I mean, that's what I'm saying. All the humor and the memes going around, it's all about making fun of people in quarantine. It's not making fun of sick people. It's not making fun of the doctors and nurses and first responders who are putting their lives on the line. None of the jokes are about that. It's verboten. Right. And so it's just making fun of the, the people who are not being hurt by it and are just living their lives in this new and surreal sort of way. A husband and a wife who <laughs> might be at each other's throats. Exactly. Or the distance learning thing. or right, the- or you can't take it anymore. Well, yeah. And everybody's yeah. driving you crazy in your family. But I wonder, you know, this cliche, is it apt for this as well as was it apt for the last lab? It's all about the timing. It's all about the timing. But I, but I always say this, it's about the timing, but it's really about the intent, right? And the context. It's like, who is telling it? Who is the audience? Again, I have not heard one joke about somebody who has become ill, has died, anybody taking care of those people. And everybody is sending me, you know, I got a a funny one today where it was a picture of a woman totally naked getting out of a shower and her teeny little kid with their, walked in the bathroom with the computer, you know, in the middle of a Zoom class, asking the mother for help. So like the whole class. <laughs> right, 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 right. That sort of stuff. Did that plant a seed in your brain about tackling something like this? Well, sure. Let's go back to the Gilbert Gottfried okay. during that roast. Okay. People want to laugh. People need to laugh. It is a release. Anybody will tell you that. So he moved from a topic that was too soon, 9-11. It was not okay to make jokes. People weren't ready. I mean, they may never be ready for something like that, but they were ready to 
let off steam. So when he was able to go to a raunchy, raunchy joke, like the aristocrats, it was the perfect release for people. Here's something that I didn't know, but survivors have such a funny sense of humor, like not about Holocaust jokes, but they love to laugh, you know, like a lot of the people I met. And they'll tell dirty jokes and has nothing to do with the Holocaust. The fact is, humor is healing. It doesn't mean you have to laugh at the awful experience. Mm-hmm. Nobody's laughing at the Holocaust. Or if they are, that's a problem. Do you think it made a difference, Fern, that you as someone who is Jewish made this film? Uh, absolutely. But, you know, I'm sure there are some people that think, you know, it's not okay that I didn't have a survivor in my family. Nobody has ever said that to me, but I'm sure there's somebody that has thought it. You know, my husband, who is my producing partner, as you know, is not Jewish. Right. And like I said, he's a screenwriter, so he would have these meetings in LA and they'd be like, what else are you working on? And it would come up and <laughs> he doesn't even look a little Jewish, you know, like yeah. there's no mistaking that he's Jewish. Uh-huh. And they'd say to him, excuse me, I, can I ask you, are you Jewish? And he'd be like, no, no, I'm not Jewish, but my wife is. So. Right, right, <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Do you at some time foresee a COVID version of the last laugh? Would you like to tackle that? I would. But here's what's really interesting. I have been working on an idea that is sort of about humor where you can't cross a line and you sort of have to be Jewish to make a Holocaust joke, or at least that's what everybody thinks. There are successful jokes that are made by comedians who aren't Jewish, but again, the the intent had to be right, you know, as long as it's punching up and not punching down. But it was easier, as you just said, for me to make it because I was Jewish. I wonder what, if I made a film outside of my community, would it be okay? And I wanted to explore that, you know, you know, dealing with COVID-19 would be an entirely different take on that because that affects everybody. Mm -hmm. But I'd certainly be open to it. But it's like analyzing that thing, like, okay, we need to laugh. Let's find the thing that we can laugh at versus what's off limits. Unless what happens is we laugh at something totally antithetical to this that has absolutely nothing to do with this crisis, but is just strictly a diversion. Well, that's exactly what I was saying about the Gilbert Gottfried aristocrats joke. Right. That it's pure escapism. Exactly. You know, one of my favorite words with this nightmare is tentacles. Right. And at least in our lifetime, there's no reference point. That's interesting. Well, I think there's more of a connection in terms of it wasn't with the same intensity, but there was the AIDS crisis and right. and polio but, back in the but, day, which they reference, you know. Exactly. But there were not that many people alive still. Do you know what I mean? That I'm saying we haven't collectively lived through that or the globalism that has come into our lives since those things happened, since the last right. pandemic that, right. that affected the world, the entire world, you know? Like this, right. you which know. is a much smaller place than it was many years ago. Exactly, exactly. I want to move 
into some other areas in terms of what you're currently doing, Fern. First of all, how in God's name did the James get born? So a very dear friend of mine, Sylvia Sichel, who is a writer-director, she's one of those writers that just has all these incredible ideas. And so she had this thought, like in a women's bathroom, that's where, you know, it's like a private world where all these incredible experiences happen that are so private, you know? And so she had this idea of like just having these different moments in time sort of happening in all these different bathrooms. So we filmed around four of them so far and we were supposed to film another five this spring. So that's on hold. They're just these beautiful vignettes though of these very heartfelt stories of just different women's experiences that, that sort of play out in the bathroom. For instance, one is, you know, two best friends at, at one of their funerals. Uh One is a mother who just needed to get away and is like trying to smoke some pot in the bathroom and her son sneaks home from school and they have an interaction. So it's like all these just vignettes of people's lives that play out in either a public bathroom or a home bathroom or something like that. That all really happened? It's fiction. Uh, But you know, I'm sure that she's a mother of two and has a lot of women friends. I'm sure that there's a lot that she's drawn from in her own life. Now, what about this one about the photographer? What is that about? So I started as a documentary photographer. I went to the International Center of Photography in the late 80s. In New York City? Yes, in New York City. And a dear friend of mine was a Mexican Jewish photographer who was living in New York at the time. And it's just a brilliant photographer. It's just incredibly brilliant. And, you know, we sort of kept in touch for a little bit. We were right on the cusp of the digital world coming upon us, you know. So it's, it's hard for me to even imagine how did we keep in touch before Facebook and email, but we did. And then we sort of lost touch. And then when The Last Laugh came out in 2016, I joined Facebook. You know, I was trying to promote my film. I found this ICP, International Center of Photography, alumni page. And I saw that he was on it. And we reconnected and we started talking. And from the 10 years or so that we lost touch, I mean, his life had completely blown up. You know, he had been diagnosed as bipolar and everything had changed. And he had been documenting it since the early 90s. And what had happened was when I was still in touch with him, he was photographing inside insane asylums in Mexico. And the conditions of these places were horrible. And I knew about that. And then it was almost as if he was drawn there because he felt himself sort of losing his own sanity. And that's what happened. He ended up being thrown into one. So he has footage of himself interviewing patients at these places. And at one point he said, you know, can, can you help me make this into a film? So that's what we're doing. And some of the footage, you know, one of the women who is completely incoherent, but at one point looks at him and says, you should be in here too. Like she, it's almost like she sees in him. And this is what before he had, had been diagnosed or even realized that he was mentally ill. Wow. So 
he's a brilliant photographer and he has 20 years of footage inside these insane asylums of himself, whatever. And I'm, I'm working with him to make this into a film. Wow. And so where are you in this process? Well, looking for money. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because up until now, I have edited all of my own projects, but maybe because he's a friend of mine and there's a sort of personal aspect to it, I'm having a little trouble being able to edit myself. It's almost like a little bit of writer's block with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's where I am with that. But, you know, if someone were to come along and say, hey, you know, here's some money, I've got the footage and I have 85% of the film, which is unusual. Do you tend to work on more than one project at a time? Well, sort of, but you know, they're always all at different stages. So what I haven't told you is that since November, I've been working full-time on a project that's ending this week, actually. Oh, so what irons do you have in the fire, Fern? So I'm working on this really interesting project right now through the UN and Google and working with comedians. And it's a project I'm really excited about, but it's... It's a little bit hush-hush at the moment. It's different than what I've done before. However, I'm working with comedians, so that's great. It's not documentary. It's more like a public service announcement, but it was a a ton of fun to work with the comedians and sort of shape the spots. And it was very different, but I absolutely loved it. I wonder if it's a little nerve-wracking to work with comedians who may not like to be, quote, reined in at all. Well, this one was particularly hard because when they come in for such a short period of time, like something like a public service announcement, and they're not getting paid a lot of money, you need to give them something, right? You need to, you need to write something, but you can never be as funny as the comedian. Right. And because this was a project that we had so many people we were working for, and there were so many approvals that had to be done. So the basics of it had to be approved. So they had to stay within this template, but we wanted them to do it their way and be funny. It was a challenge, but it was brilliant working with them. I loved every minute of it. Uh, Okay. What's it like to be inducted into the the (laughs) Jewish Hall of Fame? Fame, The Brooklyn Jewish Hall of Fame. Let's make sure we get our boroughs straight here. Right, right. Well, you know. There are a lot of Jews in Brooklyn, so it's kind of an honor. <laughs> My husband always jokes. It's not like I was, you know, from the enter any town that doesn't have as many Jews as Brooklyn. But right, right. <laughs> but I shot a film years ago called Ruthie and Connie, Every Room in the House, about Ruth Berman and Connie Kurtz, two of the most incredible women. They are activists in the gay and lesbian community and have been for years at the stake of their family. You know, they, they were best friends who were bringing up their families together in the sixties and fell in love. It wasn't easy within their own family, but you know, they have since made peace mostly with everybody. There are so many hundreds of thousands of people that they have personally touched and helped come out and they've changed laws and, We lost Connie last year, which is very tragic, but I was able to nominate them together and interview Ruthie at the induction. Fern, even in these shitty times, so much going on, 
I don't know if this works, that your business partner is also your husband and you're really together all the time. Oh, we are. We had practice, you know? Yeah. And we have an only child who happens to love distance learning for whatever reason. So that makes it a little easier for us too. How can people get to see The Last Laugh? Okay, so The Last Laugh is on Amazon Prime. <laughs> no pun intended. The Last Laugh could be just what the doctor ordered. And thank you for making that happen. Well, thank you so much. I love talking to you. Feelings mutual, kiddo. <laughs> Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.